This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The trade deadline in Major League Baseball is tomorrow, right as this show starts at 4 p.m. here locally. And by the way, yeah, uh, hi, by the way, uh, we're, we're in your car. How's it going? Nice, nice to be there with you. Drive safely. This is our new time slot, 4 to 6 every afternoon. And joining us to talk about the Rockies making some moves prior to the deadline and maybe more to come is our head Rockies reporter at Mile High Sports. That is Drew Creaseman. Uh, Drew, thanks for joining us. Uh, Sandy and I were talking about it a little bit uh, during the break here. And uh, I'm not going to fall over myself praising the Colorado Rockies for making this trade. It's not as if they got a tremendous return. They were basically salary dumping onto an Angels team that is desperate to show Shohei Otani that they are all in on doing everything they can to make a playoff run before he gets free agency. But the Rockies in previous years wouldn't even make these trades. Uh, they they believed that their, their veteran guys that were starting for them were essentially untouchable. And by this, there is at least an admission in a couple different levels that the Rockies understand that one, their young guys have to play, and two, when you're talking about uh, their own situation as a franchise, they're willing to accept that this wasn't the answer. So, how do you take uh, the trade of CJ Crone and Randall Grichuk to the Angels, and what does it mean maybe for more moves tomorrow? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You can only give them so much credit if we're grading on a curve, right? Or are we allowing them to set their own very low bar and then jump over it? But I, I said on my show and on your show, I, I set the over under at two and a half guys. Uh, I, I said they at least got to clear that mark just for me to say they've had a decent trade deadline. And if we're not counting the Moustakis move earlier, you know, Pierce Johnson, CJ Crone, Randall Gritchick, that's three guys. So they've, they've barely cleared so far in my mind. So, uh, so I can put them at, okay, you didn't fail the trade deadline. Um, you know, I do like the return, actually. I, what I like about the returns for all the guys they've moved, all, all the names of it, is they've all been pitchers. There's all guys who, expiring contracts, who weren't going to be around next season, uh, veteran players who, like you mentioned, in the past they uh, have often not gotten anything for. In this case, now they've got five arms in the system, all of whom have, have something interesting on their profile. Uh, you know, they've got the... Angels' eighth top-ranked prospect. That's that's not nothing. And the more I read about this right-hander that they got, 21-year-old Madden, uh, I, I like him a lot. Uh, same thing with some of the guys they got, you know, for Pearson and Moustakis. But as we all know, prospects in this game, you, you know, you, you can love lots of things on the resume and they don't pan out. That's why you need five of them, not one of them. And, and five is how many they have so far. All of them pitchers, two of them lefties. And so without being able to predict the future, I like that. Uh, so, yeah, and, and then I hope you're right as far as the second half of the question, that 
it does show there are still several guys on this roster who have uh, some value and should be moved, most particularly uh, in the bullpen with Brent Suter, Brad Hand, maybe Daniel Bard as well. Uh, and, and I'd really like to see them pull the trigger. And if they do those moves, and again are getting arms who are under contract and have something interesting on the resume that I can point out and say, okay, if there's six or seven new guys in the system, I've, I do I do have to give them credit. I'm sorry. I know we don't like doing that around here. I know no one wants to give the Rockies credit. But if they do the thing you say they have to do, you have to say, okay, they finally did it. Um, I, I would only point out, and I, I don't particularly disagree with anything you said, that um, it is interesting that the Rockies pull off by their standards a pretty significant trade. At least they're, they're guys who were playing regularly for them who went the other way and they did get pitching prospects in return, but they're prospects from an organization that is notorious for having the worst or one of the worst minor league systems in all of major league baseball. Sure. They are certainly going for it right now. And I say good for (laughs) them, but their minor league system hasn't been any good for years. And I even go back, to the 2009 draft when some genius decided that Grichik would be a better choice to draft than Mike Trout. Now, they did have two picks in a row, but they took Grichik first and Trout second. I Just uh, just saying, but I did learn something because I did not know that Grichik was drafted one pick ahead of uh, uh, Mike Trout at number 24 overall in 2009. I had no idea about that. Until I, I suspect he's made. not going to lord it over it when he gets to the so, clubhouse. So, yeah, <laughs> right. but, well, he's been <laughs> in their clubhouse. Right, exactly. He's been in their clubhouse before uh, with with Mike Trout, uh, although he wasn't with the Angels very long, was he? It's St. Louis, Toronto, yeah. uh, the Rockies. Yeah. Now he's back uh, with, the, with the team that uh, drafted him. But in all seriousness, uh, isn't Madden... Uh, the more major league ready prospect of these two by a long shot. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, I like that the other guy, uh, Albright, I like that he's a lefty that always automatically. And I like that he's got some, some good stuff and he's got a little bit of a funky delivery. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Madden's a, a real get uh, to your point about, you know, yeah, a system can be poorly ranked, but, you know, the Rockies have had several times where their system was poorly ranked and they let, say, a Tom Murphy get out of a poorly ranked system and, and look at what he's done for uh, Seattle. Not a ton, but pretty good ball player they've managed to pick up. You know, I just did a video for us at Mile High Sports on our YouTube about DJ LeMahieu and the trade that initially brought him into the Rockies. And the Cubs system wasn't ranked highly at the time and nobody thought LeMahieu was right. a get at all. It's true. Right? So sometimes with these picks, you, you really are throwing darts at the board and if one of these five guys that they've picked up this season turns into an above-average major league pitcher, then they did a good job. So the the idea now is we'll find out more about the Rockies tomorrow because you talked about the other players who should be moved. If you're moving guys on expiring contracts, that can get you anything. And I agree. Uh, to my mind, I'm like, you're just throwing darts, but you're throwing darts at young guys who are under contract, who are cost-controlled. If they happen to turn into something great, but you know they're not leaving at the end of the year like these guys are. If the Rockies do that, that makes a statement of maybe an understanding that uh, they they may have understand that they, they need to bottom out if they haven't already. If they don't, and you get into these weird half measures where you'll trade a crone and a Gritchuk, 
but you won't trade Bard and Hand and those kind of guys, then what does that mean for the Rockies' strategy? It's difficult to tell what you're trying to do if if you're going to trade away these guys for prospects, knowing that your team isn't going anywhere, but you want to go halfway. Yeah, and, and the real big thing there, guys, will be in addition to that, because if they do that, but they still play a lot of the young guys in the second half, I can, again, I can say, well, maybe they weren't the right matchups. Maybe they do think some of these veterans are coming back. I don't know. The biggest thing, though, what they can't do is bury the young guys in the second half. The best thing about the, and you mentioned earlier about, about this Gritchick and, and Crone move, is that now Michael Tolia, Nolan Jones, and Alaris Montero should be playing every single day. And if they don't make that change, uh, you know, if, if they're still running those guys out there, if they hang on to all of these veterans, and they're just, especially the relievers, and you're not given opportunities because they have got, uh, and I know this sounds absolutely strange about the Colorado Rockies. I've never been able to say this sentence before in my 10 years of covering the team, maybe in my 30 years of watching the team. They have an extraordinary amount of reliever depth. Like, uh, an embarrassment of riches. Tyler Kinley is about to return. They've got three or four guys in the minor leagues who are throwing lights out right now. Uh, I love what I'm seeing out of Justin Lawrence and Jake Bird, who are signed up for another couple of years so you can build around them. There's no reason to keep Suter, Hand, and Bard. And Bard is one of my favorite people who I've ever talked to in a Colorado Rockies uniform in that clubhouse. But he deserves a chance to go out there and, and compete and play some postseason baseball. And, and the Rockies need to move on and, and let some younger players get their opportunities. Uh, that's the good news, or the semi-good news. Uh, the bad news is that they got whacked twice by the Oakland A's uh, this past <laughs> weekend, um, uh, which uh, I guess is par for the course. They also lost two out of three to the Sad Sack Washington Nationals. So uh, the pursuit of 100 losses continues apace. And uh, with these trades, I imagine uh, both uh, the trades they've already made and trades they are possibly going to make uh, tomorrow, uh, the chance for a 100-loss season, first time in franchise history, uh, would increase. Um, And Friday night and Saturday night, whether you're talking about starting pitching, relief pitching, it was just bad all around. I guess the team that can't hit. (laughs) <laughs> right. It was bad baseball. <laughs> there was some yeah. pretty bad baseball yeah. played at Coors Field over the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, when uh, I have never predicted the Rockies to lose 100. In fact, at the beginning of every season, I've made it kind of an annual tradition of mine to say they're not going to do it. Folks. Well, it's been a good uh, bet. I mean, it's never happened. Right. I, I've won it every year. But the second it's it hard to lose 100. It, it is. It, you almost have to be trying. But well, the A's definitely yeah, are. The A's are. Yeah, Kansas right. City's not necessarily. <laughs> they still beat the Rockies. I mean, yeah. That's, I know. How embarrassing. Uh, but when Marquez went down with injury, when it was announced he would need Tommy John, I went, yeah, they're going to lose 100 games. Because they already were not a very good baseball team, and they lost by far their most important player toward their record. And then they lost the entire rest of their starting pitching staff. So I was like, well, it's going to be one of those years. Guys might lose 110. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those people who cares that much about that particular talking point. I would like to cover a number one overall draft pick, though. That would be pretty cool. And my understanding is that that next draft has got some absolute potential stars in it. So 
go lose 115. Uh, you know, for all I care, that may be out <laughs> of reach. That. Yeah, that that would that be out of reach. But uh, going, we're talking to Drew Griezmann of My Life Sports about the Colorado Rockies, and, and and basically, I think the three of us are hoping that if there is hope for the Rockies, that they realize that their plan has not worked. They need to throw in the towel with the current plan, reload with prospects and try something different. That is not usually what the Rockies do, but they could end up doing it. Are there any other players that you believe if the Rockies were to make moves, or even if they weren't, younger players that need time? You brought up Montero. Of course, we uh, we also know about uh, Nolan Jones, uh, who arguably at this point becomes, along with Ryan McMahon, maybe the Rockies' best position player. Are there any other players that you believe are close to the major leagues that need that time for the Rockies to either find out if they can be viable major leaguers or to get the growth they need to, in an effort to become so? Yeah, there, there's two guys I'll point out. There's a couple of them, but two in particular. I want to point out Aaron Schunk, uh, corner guy, mm-hmm. big bat. I've never been 100% sure about his defense, but he has been smacking the baseball around in AAA this year. I'm honestly surprised that he didn't get the stint that Coco Montez just got. Montez was sent back down today, by the way, to make room for the return of Brendan Rodgers. Another bit of good news. Right. almost forgot he was on the team for a minute there, right? Uh, but, yeah, I, Aaron Schunk is the position player who's healthy right now. Sadly, Zach Veen isn't. Yankiel Fernandez, I think, is just one more year away. That kid is getting on top 100 charts and, and things like that. But I, I don't think he's quite there. But Schunk is the guy... I think we should see this season um, and, and hopefully get a little bit excited about. And I'm going to say it in the bullpen. I'm going to say it again. It might be Riley Pint season. Uh, former top pick, right? Top 10 pick right. by the Rockies. Uh, had to retire for a little while because he couldn't throw strikes. Nobody could get a hit off of him because he throws 100 miles an hour, but he couldn't find the strike zone. Retired for about a season and a half, came back, reworked himself as a reliever, has had ups and downs, uh, made a brief appearance this year for the Rockies and looked shaky, but for the last month and a half, he's basically been untouchable in AAA. And that's another guy who this is the type of season where you find out, okay, do you have it or not? Cause if you do awesome. And if not, let's find out now. <laughs> that feels that that's what the Rockies should be doing. Finding out what they've got. Now it's about evaluating what actual building blocks you have uh, before you start building something. That would be a change of pace for the Rockies. We'll see if they continue to do that tomorrow. You want to make sure you follow Drew uh, for the latest Drew Creaseman, uh, that is C-R-E-A-S-M-A-N, on Twitter. And, of course, you can catch him at MileHighSports.com for all the latest. And check out the YouTube while he was at it uh, as well. So Drew doing a lot of stuff for the Rockies uh, probably deserves hazard pay for the way this season has gone. Thanks a lot for popping in. Appreciate it, Drew. Always a blast, fellas. Take care. All right. Thanks, Drew Creaseman, joining us. And, uh, you know, again, it is, it's one of those. Uh, hey, they've won four out of the, the last ten. The, pr- the praise is faint. But I'll be honest with you, Sandy. I didn't think the Rockies would trade either Grichuk or Chrome for anything. I didn't think they would because that's what the Rockies I, do. I, I kind of thought Chrome was gone. Grichuk I wasn't so sure about. And maybe they'll do more. I mean, what what do we say? We need four guys. If you're pulling off the Band-Aid, pull Grichuk off the Band-Aid. and Chrome were two of them. We mm-hmm. said they had to make at least two moves. They made those two moves on those four players. And uh, I, I I share uh, the view that uh, Daniel Bard should go to a contending team. Now, the role he plays there remains to be seen if, in fact, that happens. But I'd like to see him, uh, um, I don't know if it would fit in, but uh, if we go back to Boston, uh, that'd be a hell of a good story. 
We'll find out. The trade deadline is tomorrow at 4 p.m. in Denver. So we'll see when we uh, get back at it tomorrow. We'll keep you up to date with all the latest. And we'll drew over at MileySports.com. The injury situation for the Broncos gets worse. How do they handle that? We'll be joined by Dr. Rick Perea to talk about the mentality of the Broncos following their injuries today in practice. We'll do that next on My Life Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, when we decided we'd bring in Dr. Rick Ray, of course, a regular visitor of the program, we didn't really think we'd have to talk about the mental hurdles taken to recover from injury and illness and that put your career at risk, but... Here we are, Dr. Rick Pray. I think one for you.org is the website. Of course, he's worked uh, with the Broncos as a performance coach and teams all over the sporting world. Uh, I don't want to burn the whole uh, entire segment talking about it. But, Dr. Rick, thanks for joining us uh, to, on the program here. And obviously the news that uh, Tim Patrick, who comes back from the, the torn ACL last year, comes back out, first days in pads, uh, tears the left Achilles. It was the right ACL last year. His career, obviously, in some jeopardy, turns 30 in November. K.J. Hamler. I guess diagnosed with pericarditis. He had, of course, had the pec injury in the offseason. Uh, the Broncos waive him with non-football injury, and, of course, he's had the problems with the ACL and the mental health challenges as well. So mm-hmm. uh, for, for the players themselves, the next steps for them, and for the Denver Broncos, who probably feel over the last couple of years as if they've just had buzzards luck, and sometimes uh, you feel like you can't shake that, even though uh, you know coincidence is not necessarily anything that you could do a bunch about. Right. Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me, Sandy and, and Sean. I'm, it's great to be back with you guys. Yeah, you know, it seems like that's that's a tough tough break and a tough um, you know break for the Broncos in terms of Tim Patrick. But you know, I've always said that you know preparation really makes your your luck, and preparation really is the foundation of you know destination and in, in operation every day. So I think you know, yeah, tough ACL last year, torn Achilles this year. Yeah. That's that is not good. I mean, it's really tough for one athlete to endure that. But we've seen that before. This isn't the first time that's ever happened, necessarily at Denver, but all over the league. You know, it's just one of those things that a coach will tell you that it's not what happens in life. We have what's called the ten ninety rule in in psychological performance, and that is life is ten percent of what happens and ninety percent of how you react to it. Yeah. So it's not that Tim's out now. It's like, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond to it? You know, how's Tim going to respond to it? And then how are the players at his position, his position coach? You know, as you guys know, I don't only work with players, but I work with coaches throughout the league. And I can tell you this, there are a lot of coaches that have a really asset-based thinking, and there's coaches that have deficit-based thinking. So it's all going to start at the top. It's all going to start with Peyton and the way he creates the climate and culture every day. And then that'll trickle down with his coordinators and position coaches. But, you know, it, it is bad news. It's not good news. But it's life goes on in the NFL, as you guys know. we got to be able to carry on. And, again, the 1090 rule uh, proceeds right here. It obviously is is devastating news if you know Tim Patrick at all, know sure. his story, and I know you're familiar with it. Yep. Uh, undrafted free agent out of Utah in 2017. 
hooks on with the Broncos at 2018, basically, you know, special teams guy when he, uh, when he did play in 18 and, and 19, Vic Fangio's first year, Vic Fangio didn't think very much of Tim Patrick, but thought a lot more of him the next two years when he caught 51 and 53 passes, was a good receiver on third down. But it, it, it again, from a psychological point of view, a week ago you would have said, boy, the Broncos may not have great players established at wide receiver, but they have a lot of players who look like they could be fixtures, right. if not out-and-out stars right now, and all of a sudden you lose one of the guys you're sort of counting on to be your lead possession receiver, maybe even a guy uh, who could operate out of the slot. Um, there's a trickle-down effect, but in your view, if there's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver this year for the Broncos, I think it's going to be Jerry Judy. Does this increase the pressure, psychological and otherwise, on somebody like Jerry Judy, who the last six games of last year did look the part of a number one NFL wide receiver? Yeah, no, I don't think it increases the pressure. I it think doesn't. It, no, oh. I, I think it gives Just him a, the opposite. Yeah, I think it gives him a green light, a great opportunity for him to be kind of that go-to guy. But here's what also it does. It opens up other spots. You guys know by mid-September, we'll be sitting here talking about who stepped up in that position. You know, it, it, it'll be someone on this roster. They may get someone. They may acquire someone through, you know, through the, the cutdowns, whatever it may be. You know, personnel, I got to tell you, since way back in 1983 when I was a rookie with the Broncos, one of the things I was astounded by is the the minuscule difference between a starter and a backup. You know, oftentimes all a backup needs is an opportunity. There's other people on this roster that can play that receiver spot. Let me ask you about on that point, Kendall Hinton. Yeah. I mean, all people need is a chance, Sandy. That's all they need is a chance and opportunity. Throw them the ball. And I'm not saying everyone on the roster can do that, but you have two or three guys on this roster that can, quote, unquote, make us forget about Tim Patrick. I'll guarantee you that. So, you know, all the love and, and, and appreciation to Tim, and, you know, I hope you heal quickly. But there's somebody's going to step up. That's just the nature of this game. There are so many talented players. I tell this to my clients day in and day out in sports and performance psychology is there's a, there's thousands of guys walking the street from the neck down that can play thousands of them, but from the neck up, there's not a lot of them. So if you're willing to do the work from the neck up, the mental preparation, the mental protocols and techniques that we teach, then, you know, the neck down is really simple to be honest with you. Cause every guy who's out there can play, you know, they've proven themselves at the college level, I'm not saying they're necessarily a future all-pro player or Hall of Famer, but they can play at this level, Sandy. I mean, you guys have seen over the years. I don't have to name names, but there's guys that were very average from the neck down, and they became very good players for the Broncos because they were good from the neck up. So we'll see some players step up. It'll give the Broncos that much more of an opportunity to show how much work they're doing in the personnel departments to get some kids that can play and let them show their stuff. That's the part I think is interesting because we can talk about the players there, and you're right, but you've talked about working with coaches too. There can be a temptation. I think the Broncos have fallen victim to that, of believing that, okay, well, we, we find these guys, and we, we've identified them, and they're going to show up, and they're going to they're gonna be able to, to be stars and be impactful players, but they're 
at times you're off on that. You, you can you can look at the potential. It's great to be optimistic about potential, but you can also miss on potential. Yes. And in the Broncos' case, now we're looking with the these injuries. Behind Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, it is all potential. Right. And when you count on this, we see this at times. We just talked about the Colorado Rockies and their trade situation. When you get teams that, that try to have four or five or six different guys, and you believe that they will all blossom mm-hmm. simultaneously, you are setting yourself up for disappointment because that's not how it works either. It's not always linear. Right. No, but, mm-hmm. you know, this This brings up a, a point that I often say, and I help coaches understand, how, how well do you develop your players? You know, it's one thing to get players in the door, whether it's through the draft mm-hmm. or free agency, undrafted after the draft. But how well do you develop your players? How well do you identify talent and bring players along? Because there's some teams that are basically throwaway teams, and they're like, you know, if you can't, if you don't show potential in the first six months of the of your rookie year, then you're probably not going to progress up their depth charts. But there's other teams that are willing to develop their players, and they have a whole program. I've been part of a few teams that were really good at developing players, developing undrafted players into very good special teams players. I mean, I've been around I've, – I've told my sons this because my sons play linebacker at the high school and college levels. If you're 6'1 to 6'3 and you're 220 to 240 and you can run a 4'6, there's a job for you in the NFL because you can play special teams. Right. I, don't, I don't think a lot of people realize how many players never play from scrimmage. They're just special teams players, and they make careers. Mike Thomas for the Cincinnati Bengals has never been a starter yeah. at safety, and he's in his 12th or 13th <laughs> right. year – from St- Slater with the Patriots, Stanford, absolutely, and these Who's guys been around even longer. Yeah, so so it's not just developing starters; it's developing functional players that we can plug in here and there. But I'll tell you what: again, every time there's a deficit, there's also an asset. Yeah. It's a yin and a yang. And with Tim Patrick going down, there's going to be some assets that come out of this experience for the Denver Broncos. All right, you knew the question was coming. You even brought it up during the break. What was going through Sean Payton's mind last week when he sat down with Jared Bell of USA Today and unleashed on anybody and everybody? You yeah. explained it. Two lattes, right? Doesn't yeah. that happen to everybody when you have a couple coffees? No? <laughs> well, I think the question is what was not going through his brain. Um, in, in the technical term, we'd say his postsynaptic terminal of his brain was blocked and the energy went somewhere else instead of making a lock and key fit where you're actually functioning in your neurological process. No, to put it in a layperson's terms, he wasn't operating from the upper cortical structure. He was operating at a lower brain level. It became really primal and it became very reptilian in the way he talked about it, meaning that you know, he just said what came to his mind. You have to have filters. You have to be able to be articulate and really be charismatic for that job. It's a CEO job, guys. Let's be honest with you. It's not necessarily – it doesn't matter how much Sean Payton knows about positions. It doesn't matter how much he knows about scheme. Those are for the coordinators. He has to be a CEO. He has to be a great – not right. a good – a great communicator. He has to be charismatic. There's a way to send those messages about Nathaniel Hackett without chopping his head off, okay? You know, and and, and I hear what Roger says yesterday. He's like, you know, keep my coach's mouth, uh, her uh, name uh, out uh, of your uh, mouth. Uh, right. And, and he also said it came from an insecure place right. for, yeah. for an accomplished coach like Pate to be right. that insecure and he also said, and I want your reaction to this, because it was a psychological judgment he was making, 
Rodgers is making about Peyton, that he's doing it to soften the landing if things go bad for the Broncos in 2023. Well, I'll tell you what, if Rodgers doesn't play so well in the next few years, he can have a job as a team psychologist. Can join you? <laughs> yeah, because he's got this thing figured out. He's two steps ahead. I think he was right on the money when he talked about too. insecurity. I do, too. I, I've seen that from day one. I think one it came Sean from Payton. that place. I'm going right? to tell you something. You know, Sandy, how much I look at nonverbal communication. Right. I, ever since mm. I've watched Sean Payton on the sidelines, that's rung out to me about insecurity. Now, everyone's insecure. I'm insecure. You guys are to a sure. certain degree. Sure. But at that position, coaches, I mean, players watch you. They watch your nonverbal communication. There's something about Sean Payton that, to me, does not seem right in terms of his nonverbal communication. Number two, soften the blowing in case. In case it doesn't work out. He was on to something right there, too. So, you know, there's these coaches in the league, they've been around long enough. They've figured out how to psychologically play the game. And Payton, Sean Payton's ahead of the game in terms of that. But Rodgers, that's my guy, because he's thinking at an upper cortical structure level, and I love that when players do that. And some of the, the trick with that is, you know, Sean Payton's case, and he, he mentioned that he basically he called the interview a mistake. That was his word, a mistake. Um, th there's sort of a lesson in there for all of us in our day-to-day -day, day -day lives, right? I mean, everyone maybe <laughs> has some things that you want to get off your chest, uh, and maybe that feels like the moment, but you have to find a way to catch yourself for yes. a second. Go, wait a minute. Is this the right time and place to do that? And that's one of the things when uh, Sean Payton made that error and kind of twice in a row in two days. But I looked at that and said, you know, there's one of the times where I can directly relate to an NFL head coach and, and say, oh, I've had moments like that where maybe I've wanted to, to unload about something I didn't like or it felt unfair or whatever. But you have to catch yourself and realize I can't do that. What's the process for, for people that, you know, have to try to catch themselves and do that? Because that's one part of this. We're talking about the NFL. Everybody has those moments. Right. Well, but here's the key. I mean, it's similar to a player. We, we have what's called the autonomic nervous system. You have the sympathetic and the parasympathetic side. The sympathetic side is where stress and anxiety live. The parasympathetic is where calm and, and performance lives. And when you're on the sympathetic side, which is stress, you will never play to your potential because you have muscle tension, heart rates up, respirations up, thinking narrows. See, Sean Payton was on the sympathetic side. His thinking narrowed. It was not a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. It was what he intended to say at the moment. Because he wasn't on the parasympathetic side where he could have been more analytical, critical thinking and thought, you know, it's probably best that I, that I put it in a very articulate way instead of just saying what I think at a reptilian level. So it wasn't a mistake. He just did not regulate himself so he could be on the parasympathetic side, thus operating on the sympathetic side. Now, that sounds like an anatomy lesson, but the reality is he didn't regulate himself, Sean. And so what we have to understand, when we're in a position of leadership, of power, of of, you know, I call it the three V's, you know, verbal, visual, and, and a vocal leader, he has to understand Everything that comes out of his mouth is going to be scrutinized. He needs to be articulate. He needs to be charismatic. He needs to be a CEO-esque, and he doesn't have those skills. Now, you look at him and say, oh, well, he's won a Super Bowl in, in New Orleans. You go, you go back and look. There's a lot of variables there, okay? A lot of variables. And I'm not saying it's a win with an asterisk. But to me, Sean Payton is not the greatest CEO in the NFL, that type of guy. He is going to put his foot in his mouth from time to time. And he's done it really early before we've even kicked it off on 23. So my, my, my um, lesson would be for Sean is to learn to regulate yourself before you communicate in people. You know, it's not you, – you don't just have a free 
free card to say what you wish and operate from that sympathetic side. It may go over well in meetings with players and coaches, but when you're in front of the media, you got to be able to regulate yourself so you're on that parasympathetic side. And then that's when you're charismatic. That's when you're articulate and you can say things without chopping people's heads off. And you know what it did too? And I'm sure this wasn't his intent, far from it, although he did speak to it in some of his remarks to Jared Bell of USA Today. Mind of people bounty gate. And for the people in New Orleans, I noticed uh, after reading about this stuff on a lot of these sites, their postings mm-hmm. from readers at the bottom, yep. uh, often not well thought out either, but from a number of New Orleans people, that's the Sean Payton we knew, yep. especially after Bounty Gate. All the insecurity and all that anger and all that bitterness. He even took a shot at Goodell. Yeah. Said, well, a guy like Goodell, if he really wants to get you, he's going to come after you. And he was using that to talk about, for some reason, uh, uh, the Denver player who got suspended for gambling. I don't know why Roger Goodell would have a grudge. But Peyton's interpretation was, well, he played for my team, so they they stuck it to him. I never heard Dan Campbell complain about the four players in Detroit who got suspended for gambling. Correct. And I never heard uh, Ron Rivera in Washington complain yeah. about the guy he got suspended, uh, the guy who got suspended for gambling. They never complained, uh, but Peyton did. I, I, I want to ask you about what you're doing this weekend upcoming. Uh, you've been invited by DeMarcus Ware to go back to the Hall of Fame ceremonies. Yeah, you know, I'm finally going to go to Canton, Ohio, guys. Um, DeMarcus Ware invited me a couple months ago me and my sons, to go to Canton, Ohio. He's being inducted. Um, it's just going to be a great weekend. Thursday night's the game. Friday we're going to hang out a little bit. Saturday at noon is the ceremony, and then Saturday night's his party, and we're going to have a good time. You know, hopefully a lot of guys from the Super Bowl 50 team are going to be there that I've kept Absolutely. in touch with um, uh, these last several years. But, you know, DeMarcus is a guy – that he wrote a piece in my book, Sandy, and you you've read my book, oh, I've, and and I've I, I've read his piece. Yeah, and extraordinary. You know, and the thing that's so powerful about Demarcus is you know six four, two hundred sixty pounds, just a a great phenomenal athlete. But when he walked into my office, he said, you know, I got everything that you can put in a box. I got homes, I got cars. He goes, but I, I'm a little lost as a man. I'm a little lost at who mm-hmm. I am. And obviously, he's given me permission to talk about this. And obviously, he wrote about it in my book. But he came in and he was vulnerable. You know, he was vulnerable, Sean. He talked about, like, I got to figure out who I am. And through that, it was so powerful because that was the 15 Super Bowl season. And before that, Von Miller wouldn't come into my office and see me. But as soon as DeMarcus, you know, went out and says, man, this dude's actually a pretty cool dude, you know. Uh, and that's a form of leadership, I yeah, suppose. it is a form. It's a, a form of what we call reverent leadership. And so, and now you and Von Miller are very close. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's the only other time. <laughs> and he swears by you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the funny thing about those guys is they're like, you know, if I'd have known, Doc, that you do the things that you do and the way you do it, I would have started this way back in high school. And so that's a lesson to so many guys out there. You know, performance psychologists don't break you down, don't analyze you. We teach you tools. We teach you techniques to put in your toolbox. So when you're out there, you can regulate yourself, Sean, just like the Sean, the Sean Paytons of the world who can't regu- or won't regulate himself. So this, is the, this is the regulated <laughs> Sean. This is the regulated one. This is the parasympathetic Sean That's right. versus the sympathetic. But, yeah, great weekend. We look forward to it. Yeah. Me and my sons are going to have a great time. 
Well, have a wonderful time out yeah. there in Canton. Obviously, if you want to know more about what Dr. Rick Perea and his team does, just go check it out. Thinkone4u.org. The four is a number. Thinkone4u.org. And uh, we'll have an opportunity to talk to the good doctor as the season goes along. Absolutely. As Many well. Times. So uh, th- thanks Thank for stopping by and coming yeah. in the studio and looking forward to next time already. Great seeing you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank and you. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to report to you next week. What, <laughs> what happened in Canton? Yeah, so what happens in Canton at least doesn't have to stay in Canton. That's exactly. right. <laughs> I, I like that. I it's like all that. good stuff. Well, we'll make sure we talk more uh, with the doctor. Thinkone4u.org is the website. We'll take a look at the Denver Broncos now. Town two wide receivers. What does that mean for Sean Payton's offense? We'll discuss next on Miles This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy, when we look at the Denver Broncos now, Tim Patrick out for the season. Uh, multiple reports now confirming the torn left Achilles tendon. Right. A complete tear season over. Uh, we know that KJ Hamler's been waived with non-football injury. He had the pectoral injury, now diagnosed pericarditis. Uh, a possibility, I guess, the Broncos bring him back. But he's not on the roster at all. No, So, I mean, you, there's two wide receivers that you have to presume aren't going to be there. The Broncos offense under Sean Payton was going to look very different than it was going to look under uh, Nathaniel Hackett. It's obviously going to be a work in progress. But for the Broncos now and and the wide receiver spot and getting rid of with Russell Wilson, I mean, how do you even look at having enough to make sure the practices run the way you want it to go? It feels like you're going to have to add some people that are more than just death, more than the Michael Bandys of the world. You're going to have to find somebody who's proven that they can catch a football at the NFL level and in games. Well, it, it, it becomes a wide receiver by committee, doesn't it? Uh, even more so. Now, I, I, I think it is fair to suggest that Judy, on the basis of what he showed over the last six games, may be capable of being a full-fledged, legitimate number one wide receiver. And Cortland Sutton, if he catches 65 to 70 footballs this year, mm-hmm. would would be a suitable second wide receiver. Maybe you don't really have a third wide receiver. Maybe you have a combination of guys who in certain situations can be used to the best of their abilities and certain situations where you might look to somebody else mm-hmm. uh, depending on matchups and so on. The The interesting thing when Dr. Puri was talking about how misfortune can create opportunity for others, I think Kendall Hilt- Hinton is a perfectly serviceable and very bright player mm-hmm. uh, who, who can absorb information leading receiver last year and and i think he's okay he's not a star but he doesn't have to be he can fill a role callaway's advantage is he knows something about this offense that most broncos don't and maybe you throw in a third guy maybe it's mims maybe it's mims or maybe it's a guy you pick up and you can find a way it's kind of the old money ball theory where 
you lose uh, a particular player mm-hmm. and you have an amalgamation of guys who replace that player and combine create similar value, maybe even superior value to the one player you lost. And here you lose one player who has established himself as a serviceable possession receiver in the National Football League, maybe even a better than average possession receiver in the NFL. And you have two or three guys who are all built differently, have different skills, and they combine so that you're able to replace the one guy in terms of production, at least. Now, the, if the, not in terms the Broncos of are not on this wavelength, but the uh, the reason why I think that you're bringing up a good point, Sandy, and, and the idea of you know wide receiver by committee, kind of runs counter to the way people believe things should work. You want to pay the big you know big receivers big money, okay? But let's look at a team that knows how to do that. They're the yeah. defending champs now. Travis Kelsey, of course, is is, right. a, is a one man army, thirteen hundred thirty eight yards and twelve well, touchdowns. Well, exactly what happened with Tyreek Hill last year. I'd agree, but. Juju Smith-Schuster yeah. was their second leading receiver, 933 yards and three touchdowns. Right. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, it, it, at this point of his career, uh, wasn't even invited back. That's He's right. on the Patriots now. That's right. So the the Chiefs believe that they can do that. Last year, the next leading receiver was Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling, good bounce right. around. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, the running back. The next was their uh, wide receiver, Justin Watson, who you might not be able to pick out of a lineup. Mm-hmm. Noah Gray behind him, then Meikle Hardman. And rookie Who's gone Sky, now, right? right? And rookie Sky Moore, Kadarius yeah. Tony. Yeah. This this yeah. is how the right. Chiefs got it done with wide receiver by committee. That's Their exactly leading right. wide receiver, exactly they right. looked at it for the second year in a row. The Chiefs have taken their leading wide receiver, not Kelsey, who they realize is irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. But Tyreek Hill and Juju Smith Schuster went, thanks. Uh, see ya. You're replaceable. So you're replaceable. The Broncos- Tyreek Hill was a hell of a player for Miami yeah. last year. And is no less a player. And Smith Schuster will Chiefs probably lead the Patriots in receiving yards. The Chiefs played. It's the play. Money ball. It's it's the plays. It's the timing. And yes, it's the quarterback. But it's it's the play design and working the, the reps out. And you're right. Instead of spending the the twenty yes. million plus on yes. on receivers, they right. certainly invested in Kelsey. Right. But they realize, you know what? We can get the the Valdez Scantlings and the Mecole Hardmans of the world and the Kadarius Tonys of the world, and they'll be for us. Good enough to get the job done. Uh, Greg Dulcich is not Travis Kelsey. But the idea is, yes, when you look at certain positions and the expenditure of where your money has to go, the Broncos spent a lot of money on getting Tim Patrick and and Cortland Sutton signed. Both yeah. contracts, which, by the way, at the time, I don't recall anybody saying terrible idea. In, no. the, in the last few years, no. now that the receiver salaries have gone through the roof, and all of a sudden some of these deals, Tim Patrick at $10 million, despite the injuries, well, you know, and like what a part bargain. of that was, too, that Judy was so disappointing his first two years. Right. So they in November of 21, they're looking at Judy. But they invested a first-round pick. They invested a second-round pick in Hamler. They invested exactly. a second-round pick in Hamler. Hamler hadn't done anything. But if Hamler they do, but, but, then you get them at cost-effective price, and you know, maybe you move on. Now you have Sean Payton coming in. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton is from the Bill Parcells school of paying wide receivers no more than what they determine as Going his right. value yep. and not a penny more than that. And uh, $20 million a year receivers or the equivalent during Parcells coaching days didn't play for the Giants and they didn't play for the Patriots and they didn't play for the Jets. People like, I don't know, 
didn't Troy Brown start his career playing for Parcells? Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But that was the kind of receiver. And Belichick came in. Belichick had the same philosophy. Peyton has the same philosophy. In twenty in twenty twenty, when the when the the Peyton Saints is went, a gas that Cortland Sutton is making eight. The Saints went uh, twelve and four that year, when Sean Payton was coaching in twenty twenty. Do you remember who their leading receiver was? No, it wasn't Thomas. It was Alvin Kamara, but it was, uh, for the yards. But their leading receiver, wide receiver, was Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, their second leading receiver was T- Traquan Smith. Then it was Michael Thomas who had the injuries. Well, yeah, the injuries. That's it was Marquez. It was Marquez Callaway who is now, by the way, a Denver Bronco. Right. In twenty twenty one, Peyton's last year, in which they still went nine and eight, with Trevor Simeon being the quarterback yeah. for the majority of the snaps. Their leading receiver that year, despite the fact they, they were a winning team, yes, was Callaway again. Yeah. Callaway on now the Broncos and Deontay Hardy and then right. Traquan Smith. So th- this is not. And by the way, their fifth receiver is Adam Troutman. Who's now a Bronco and little Jordan Humphrey behind right. him now a Bronco. It, it, this is the point being that this is not for Peyton a problem that is going to cause him to lose much, much less sleep. of a problem. Now for we've Peyton been rough on guess. Peyton today, and with good reason, I think. But in this particular case, you're dealing with a coach who who doesn't believe that there should be maybe more than four or five receivers making $20 million, and they're probably not going to play for him. There are, I believe, 13 in the NFL right now, receivers making $20 million or more. But that's it. Out of 32 teams and 64 to 96, quote-unquote, starting wide receivers, 13 are making $20 million or more. And Tyreek Hill was one of them. The Chiefs said, we we're not paying Tyreek Hill that kind of money. It's quite possible the Broncos are going to go that route, and I think that's a good point. This, this is a, it's not good news for the Denver Broncos. But the coach, in no way is but it the coach news. they have happens to happens be to be one of those perhaps guys one of those guys that knows how believe, to work around it and and you know the Broncos I think were third last year in the money devoted to wide receivers and Sean Payton I'm sure one of the first things he did take one look at that and say that's ridiculous Routine went five and twelve to be that expensive at the wide receiver position that's why I don't think. Sutton is long for the Broncos, and I think the Broncos, particularly with Sutton, were pretty aggressive in trying to move him during the offseason. They were also aggressive about asking for a second-round pick, which no team in its right mind was ever going to get. If you were curious, by the way, where the Broncos are this year in spending on the wide receiver position, it's number one, $44 million, Isn't just ahead of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Amazing. We'll find out more. Thanks so much to Drew Kreisman for joining us as the Rockies make a deal. The trade deadline tomorrow at 4 p.m. Dr. Rick Perea joining us tomorrow. We'll have Cody Rourke join us, of course, uh, from the Broncos training camp. He'll pop in and talk to us. If you haven't che- checked out Cody's show, by the way, in the mornings, 9 a.m. on YouTube. Check out the Miley Sports Channel. Cody there every morning for Good Morning Broncos. We'll have him tomorrow. Thanks to you for listening. Welcome to the new spot. Hope you enjoyed it. I know we are definitely going to do so. Thanks to Danny Bailey for making everything work. And mostly to all of you listening on air over the web of MileySports.com. Watch or listen, or even at the best place. Just grab the app and all of it's in your pocket. Whether you missed any part of the show, easy and ready to go. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll catch you tomorrow, but keep it right here on My Life Sports. Here I sit, cursing my government for not using my taxes to fill holes with more cement. You fell asleep in my car. I drove the whole time. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.